new when we know Jesus. I came across an article this past week um, entitled, Why Do We Hate Each Other So Much? <laughs> I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw that, it caught my eye. I'm like, whoa, what's, what in the world? And then the subtitle, Five Reasons Anger is the New Epidemic. It's really not new, but it, it certainly seems to have raised its ugly head to a much greater degree in the last number of years. And one of the things uh, th that Carrie Newhoff says, one of the things that is changing quickly is how deeply we seem to hate one another. And we're not just talking about believers here, but nor are we ignoring that that truth is also among believers. There is... Uh, an epidemic of anger, expressing anger, the freedom to just spout off and act angry towards anybody for any reason whatsoever. And then I've been reading a book. I spent more time catching up um, uh, when we were away on vacation uh, entitled Christians in the Age of Outreach, How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its Worst. And, and one of the opening illustrations of the whole point is if you remember back in 2015 and you may not but back in 2015 at Christmas time Starbucks had this controversy actually it wasn't their controversy but every year Starbucks does special Christmas cups you with me some of you go who start ask Scott all right um, but um, th they have a Christmas cup well in 2015 it was just all red the red cup with their insignia on it and somebody got all bent out of shape and, and put it out there in social media and it exploded and went viral. What's wrong with Starbucks? You can't, they took Merry Christmas off the cup and because they took Merry Christmas off the cup, they must hate Jesus. And, and this thing just spread like wildfire. Well, the truth of the matter was Starbucks never had Merry Christmas on their cup. And... They're, as far as I know, an unsaved corporation. There may be believers in there. I know there are believers that work for Starbucks, but um, it, they don't know any different. So that's the, but the, re, the reaction of God's people is what was so ungracious and ungodly. You say, well, standing for truth. No, you weren't standing for truth. And the whole thing, Christians in the age of outrage. And that seems to be what has categorized our society. The idea of our country being so polarized, you can't be in the middle. You can't disagree with somebody without a fight. And you know what, folks? The church is involved in that as well. And I get all of what we're going through now with the whole COVID thing and the uneasiness that's just there. Everybody seems to be on edge. Have you noticed that? It's kind of like a, you go into the grocery store. And I'm not expecting everybody to just shake my hand and smile. You couldn't tell if they were anyway, right? Sometimes you can tell if they're smiling by their eyes, can't you? Sure. But, but I, I try to look at people at least to say, hi, nobody looks at you. It's like no eye contact because if I look at you, I'll get the virus. I don't know what it is, but, but it's just like that's our culture. Everybody's on edge. 
Folks, I get that. I'm there. Man, I'll tell you, after a couple of weeks at home back in March and April, I was ready to pull my hair out or something out. I, I just was like, wow, this is nuts. What's going on? We as believers have a lot going on. And, and I don't want to just, like I say so often, make it sound like, oh, just suck it up and rejoice. You know, the Bible says rejoice in all things. Again, I say rejoice, Paul says. And we should, but I'm not trying to sound overly spiritual. I'm not trying to sound like, come on, what's wrong with you? Just go home and take two aspirin. You'll feel better in the morning. Or go home and read a couple of verses. You'll be okay by tonight. I'm not trying to say that, but people... We as believers must model the presence of Jesus in our lives. He said, Glenn, what's the point? What are you driving at? Well, we're beginning a new series today. We're calling it In This Together. In This Together. We're going to talk about unity. The unity of the church. The unity of your family. The unity of your home. The unity of, of your neighborhood with you as an individual believer. And, and, and how we respond to one another, whether it be in the church or in the workplace or in the neighborhood or in the store or wherever, the importance of recognizing we are responsible to get along with one another. We, more than anybody else in the face of the earth who know Jesus, ought to be living at peace as much as it's possible within us to live peaceable with all men. And uh, we need to recognize the need at times to forgive one another. We need to love one another. We need to confront each other about sin. And we're going to talk about those relationships and the unity that needs to be existent in the church. And I'm not just talking about Heritage Baptist Church, but yes, that's where it starts with our local body. But we're talking about the church universal, the big capital C church. All believers from the, rap, from the uh, day of Pentecost, the day the church began, to the rapture. But certainly, that's lived out in the individual, small c, local churches. It's critical that we live with Christ in mind. As believers, we've been commissioned, commissioned to make more people more like Jesus. And if we're going to do that, we need unity in our churches, in our relationships, in our homes. We all need to get along everywhere we go. But understand something. Unity is not easy. It's not. It's hard. It's difficult. Churches have been fighting one another for years. Churches divide and split over the most ridiculous things, over the most insignificant, petty preference issues. We must live together in unity. And if I was to ask you then this morning, so what do you think is the greatest hindrance, the greatest detriment, the greatest cause of disunity in the church, what would your answer be? Think about that. Talk about it later. What would it be? What causes the lack of unity? What causes, creates disunity? Well, let me give you one word, a real small one, sin. Sin. Now, that's a real big generalization. You saw some of the sins that were listed on that opening video, the things that, that definitely will create disunity in a church. But let me give you two specific things that I know 
at least a couple. We could spend all, all, all day on that. We're not going to do that. But first of all, it is Satan. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Peter tells us that uh, what we know that you are, he says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. The devil, your enemy, Satan, is looking, is out to ruin your life as a believer. Now, if you know Jesus, there's nothing he can do about that. He's lost that war, the war, but he can win some battles along the way and make you ineffective and grumpy and, and no, no way you're going to reach those who need Jesus. But it's not just Satan, because it's real easy to say, yeah, the devil made me do it, right? But that's not only, because James talks about in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, he says, it's you. Yes, it's Satan, but it's also you. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, you're going to see a lot of second-person pronouns. You. You and your. When you see you and your in these verses here, they're plural. He's not talking to you as an individual. He's talking to you as a brother and sister in Christ in a church Peter was addressing, or James was addressing, a group of believers in a local church or in local churches. They apply to us today. So verse 2, when, he, when we go on here, um, we find out that um, he says, You desire, but you do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. What are they quarreling and fighting about? What they want. We want what we want, right? <laughs> we all have our own preferences. We did a little thing uh, last week. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it was called. Some kind of an Instagram thing for our staff we're going to do uh, with, so, so that people can get to know us, so that you can get to know us uh, in a different way and others as well. But, so it's kind of like, what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, man, at Manning's. Boy, that's one of those, how do you say a favorite at Manning's, right? It's like a, a whole bunch of things. And, and so as we talk about that, it's my desires. Those are the things that I want. And that's what we're talking about here. So the you is all plural. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't get what you want. You don't like it. You tell somebody about it. Verse 3. This is what James says. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Selfishness. Sin and self. That's the problem. That's what creates disunity to the greatest degree. Satan and self. It's real simple. You see, the essence of sin is selfishness. At the very heart of sin is selfishness. It, it, more than anything else. I mean, sin is, is a broad, sweeping turn that has a lot to it. But at the heart of it is, I want what I want. And selfishness is at the very heart of division and disunity in the church among God's people. 
And uh, instead of praying for what we want, we ought to be praying for what God wants. God, give us a desire. Give me a desire to obey you. God, give me a desire to pursue your will in my life. God, give me a desire to pursue unity in the church. God, give me the heart to do everything I can to ensure that people I know are at peace with me and others within our body. And this morning as we, and we move forward, we got to remember the title of our series We're in this together, in this together, and it takes a church to reach the world for Jesus. It takes the church to help you become more like Jesus. That's the mission of our church, more people, more like Jesus. We're all part of that. We're in this together. But you need to grab hold of a truth that makes it hard, that we've got to overcome, and that is simply this this statement. Sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. You've heard that before, I'm sure. We've talked about it. Sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. This means that when you talk negatively about somebody else or somebody talks negatively about you, you'll talk negatively about them. It means when somebody treats you wrongfully, you'll treat them wrongfully. That's what we tend. Even as those who know Jesus and those who have been forgiven, that's our tendency that doesn't need to be our practice. In fact, we know Scripture's real clear. We're going to remember the cross and what Jesus did for us, and because He did that, we don't have to respond that way, but we still tend to do that if we're not careful. What it is, it's like if you've watched any Major League Baseball, you may not be a baseball fan, but... I can just tell you, in Major League Baseball last year, a couple years ago, the Houston Astros, who won the World Series, cheated. I won't go into all the details of how they cheated, but they figured out what pitcher, what pitch he was going to throw so they'd be ready for it to hit the ball. They cheated. And they got caught this last fall. And after they got caught, they had kind of their hands slapped, and a couple people got fired, but... Nothing happened to the players, and they didn't take away the world championship. And there's a whole lot of other teams that thought they should have won it. And if Houston hadn't cheated, they would have won it. So you know what happened this year? Spring training, and it's happened this last week in a real game. The pitcher from the other team starts throwing at the Houston batters, throwing the ball when they pitch. Yes, that is a thing that happens in baseball when you're mad at the other team. Why? What is it? Because sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. That's true for unsaved people and saved people. That's why marriages fall apart. That's why moms and dads have fights with their kids. That's why situations at work many times fall apart and run angry and People are upset. That's why in our neighborhoods there's fighting and arguing sometimes amongst neighbors. That's why in our schools the same thing holds true. Because sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. And that's what makes unity in the church so difficult. Sin. Satan and self. Satan and self. And we need the victory. It's hard, hard work. But Jesus went to the cross so that we could be one, and we're going to look at that. So let me share with you, because we're in this together, let me share some thoughts about unity. First of all, number one, unity is foundational to the local church. 
Unity is foundational to the local church. If you're taking notes or want to write this down or take a look at it, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. And we're just going to look at it there. Paul says this. He's talking to the church in Corinth. Now, there's a lot of churches that had problems with disunity and division. Ephesus did. Paul told them, you need to be recognized you are one in the Spirit. You stand one together. Philippi, the church there, Paul said, hey, you need to be of one mind and one heart. Be like Jesus, he said. Well, here in Corinth, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, I'm, I'm appealing to you, people. You church people, you who know Jesus, you who know better, that you all agree with one another in what you say. Obviously, they didn't. They were in disagreement. And you could go on and find there were divisions. One, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, oh, of the real spiritual ones. Oh, I'm of Jesus. You can just hear them, can't you? That, that's what Paul's saying. That's the division. And he says, you need to agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you. We are one in Jesus. He says, but that you be perfectly united. Not just united, perfectly united in mind and thought. Listen, unity is foundational. To our ministry. We're in this together. Secondly, unity puts the reputation of our church on the line. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. You say, what do you mean by the real Lord's Prayer? Well, we many times call the Lord's Prayer what we read in Matthew 6 or what we quote sometimes. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so forth. Right? That's what we call. Jesus never prayed that prayer. He Use that as a sample for how we should pray. But the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that the Lord prayed, is John 17. Check it out. The whole John 17. The night before he was crucified, he prayed this prayer. And here in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, not for those who already know Jesus. He's talking about them those who know Jesus. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know who that is? Us. Is that cool or what? Hello? You responded just like, there, that's a little better. The first crowd responded like that. I mean, the first service, excuse me. Right? It's like, come on, folks. Wow, Jesus prayed for us before you even were born. Jesus is praying for a heritage before we even existed 51 years ago now. He says, my prayer is not for them. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. The message of the prophets, the message of the apostles, the Old Testament that had already been written, the message of the gospel. I pray for those who will believe. And then he goes on, verse 20, 21 here. That all of them, all who? All those who believe. All of them may be one, would you agree that that means that all of them may be unified? You may not agree, okay, but I think you do. But we'll see that that's exactly what it means. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, he says, hey, we, Son and Father are one, and so is the Holy Spirit, the triune God, the Trinity, three in one, right? 
We're unified. He suggests as we, you and I are one, and I am in you. May they, those believers, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm going to come back to that phrase. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse uh, 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. We are united, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are one, that they as believers of all will, will be one. And then here it is, verse 23. Here's the clincher. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. There it is. See, that's how I know the one mentioned back a couple of verses is unity. That they may be brought, this complete unity is what Jesus is praying for all believers, us. The church. Then the world will know. There's the reputation on the line. You see, if people don't see unity in God's people in the church, how are they ever going to know that what we claim to be true is true? They won't. That's what Jesus is praying. The church needs to be one. They need to be unified. Why? So that the world, those who don't know Jesus, will know that you, Father, have sent me and that I have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. See, the reputation of the church is on the line based upon the unity that exists among God's people. Thirdly, Thirdly, unity compels us to love one another. This is just an easy one to say, to agree with, to do. Now that's another story because here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus commanded in John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Kind of like what we just read and what Jesus prayed for in John 17, right? But now he's saying to the believers, you need to love one another. Why? Because that is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, how that you are my followers, how that you are learners of God, of Jesus, followers of him. How? If you love one another. That's how. Listen, unity compels us to love one another. If we're going to be unified as a church, as a body of believers, we must love one another. That's the only way it'll happen. If we're not together, if we're not completely unified, perfect unity, as Paul said, we won't have, we won't experience, we won't know that, that unity that is so necessary to our testimony amongst those who don't know Jesus And our ability even to attract those who do know and see them grow so that we can become one. And then lastly, unity is critical, critical to accomplishing our mission. I'm not going to take the time to go through Matthew chapter 28. We've done that often. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the great commission, which we say is our mission as a church, right? Go make disciples. Go. That's the evangelistic part of it. You got to go. 
You've got to reach people for Jesus, make disciples, see them come to know Jesus, then baptize them, and then teach them to obey all things, everything I've commanded you. And then, here, here's the clincher. Now, it takes unity for that to happen. If we're going to reach all nations, if we're going to reach the, uh, the world in which we live, we need to be together. We already saw how that was critical. But Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, this is what Jesus said. You will receive, after the resurrection, Jesus said to about 120 believers, he said, you, after, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When was that? When, when was that? When was the Holy Spirit going to come on them in power? Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the church began, the day of Pentecost, right? That's when that happened. So he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power. On the day the church begins, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when that happens, you'll receive the Holy Spirit's power to do what I've called you to do, to reach the world, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. In Clark Summit, in South Abington, in Waverly, in Clark's Green, in Dalton, in Factoryville, in Scranton, in Dunmore, in North Pocono, in Moscow, in Old Forge, in Taylor, wherever, as we go. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to have Tim and Laura Compton here who are taking, who are witnesses in Thailand. How can we do this? Because we've been given power, and that power has been given to the church where we are one together in Christ. Does that make sense? See, and, and discipling. I, I've been reading a book that uh, uh, Paul and Scott discovered um, over the time that I was gone and started reading it, and, and I came across, I think, one of the greatest definitions of discipling that I've ever read. So simple, so clear. Mark Dever, in his book called Discipling, says this, discipling is helping others to follow Jesus. Doesn't get any easier than that. I mean, is that clear? Is there anything you can't understand about that? No. Discipling. We're making disciples when we help others follow Jesus. So if a person doesn't know Jesus, they're not saved. They're still in their sin. What do we do? How do we disciple them? We help them to follow Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then we baptize them. That's helping them to follow Jesus. And then we teach them to obey. Why? Because that's helping them to follow Jesus. We do that with one another. Why? Because we are the church and we must be unified as one together in doing that task. Whew. Now there's a whole lot more to say about unity, about being in this together. But it's so important that we understand. I want you to think with me about what might happen if we all chose to live in unity with one another. Hey, you may be thinking now, is there some kind of a problem in our church that I don't know about? Is there some kind of division? You're preaching on unity and you're talking about division and, and you're... No, not that I know of. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure not all is well with everybody. I don't know of any big thing, though. So... 
But obviously, you read through the New Testament, and it was talked about all the time as a problem in the church, disunity. We're talking about in this crazy day in which we live, the need to be in this together, standing united, perfectly united in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the things that are necessary to make that happen. We're going to talk about what happens when it when we are sinned against, how do we respond? Even though our tendency to, when we're sinned against is to sin, react sinfully, we're going to move beyond that. And, and the thing that I want to say to you today as we begin is you begin by asking yourself, am I loving one another? That's the command of Jesus to make sure that we are one. We've got to love one another. Love those who know Jesus. That's the context. Talking about loving believers. Loving one another we got to do that but sometimes when we don't we don't always see that can i suggest that you you're serious about this ask those who know you best ask your spouse your husband or your wife ask your kids ask your parents ask your close friends those who know you well because here's the thing we typically don't see it when we're unloving i mean i don't even sometimes see it when i'm that way with my wife I can tell after a while that I see her responses like I've heard her, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, what's wrong with me? I, I wasn't loving. Love is a verb, an old song used to say. It's not, it, yeah, it's a noun, but what we're talking about here is love is a verb. We must love one another. Ask somebody who knows you well, is there somebody that I don't love? Do you see anybody in my life that I need to make things right with because I'm not loving them. And when I'm not loving somebody within the body of Christ, guess what I'm doing? Creating disunity. Might be only a little fraction of part of the body, but it's disunity. And we need to love one another, but it's hard. And it's hard because sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we read Paul's challenge to the church in Corinth about the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that. We're going to give you an opportunity to examine your heart, as Paul says in verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And you know what I'm convinced that this really is? We've talked about it. It was disunity. It was division in the church. Say, so how do you know that? Well, back in chapter 11 and verse 18, Paul says... I hear that when you come together as a church for the Lord's Supper, that there are divisions among you. And so when Paul says, examine yourselves before you partake, he's saying, you know what? When you examine yourself, are you the cause of, div of division in the church? Because if you are, you need to make it right. And if you are, maybe you ought not to take communion. Because communion is for those who know the Lord, first of all. And it's those who are in regular fellowship with God. That's sin dealt with, 1 John 1, 9. But that's what I believe Paul was really addressing, is the division. Do you realize that 1 Corinthians, about 25% of the book of 1 Corinthians is about disunity? Paul writes, that's, that's pretty significant. 25% of those 16 chapters talk about dealing with disunity in the church. 
we need to look at that as critical and important to the work of God. This past week in my time with the Lord, I one morning was thinking about sin and thinking about my message and and, and I thought, you know, it amazes me. I, I began to think how fearful we are of the virus and of doing what the governor says so that it doesn't spread. But what really amazed me was how not even close to that same level of fear or concern is our unwillingness to deal with sin the way God says. Well, we'll do what the governor says to deal with the virus. But what about what God says to deal with sin? Huh? I, I, I thought long and hard, wrote it down in my journal. I thought, oh, man. We need to fear what God says about dealing with sin and obey. And if it's disunity, we need to make that right. We must love one another.